Let us pray. Gracious Heavenly Father, we thank You for Your Word that You have preserved for us through the ages, inspired by Your Spirit. You spoke through holy men of old. And we thank You that even now You speak to us today through Your living Word. Consecrate us as living sacrifices to You, holy and acceptable in Your sight. This we pray in Jesus' name and for His sake. Amen. Please be seated. Well, today and next Sunday, I'm going to be I'm going to begin a new preaching series on the book of Malachi. Pastor Lusk is going to keep going in Mark uh, when he returns, uh, but I'm going to uh, to start into the book of Malachi. Uh, Malachi is the last book in our arrangement of the Old Testament in our English Bibles because it was most likely the last book written before the birth of Christ. Malachi was the last prophet chronologically before the 400 or so years of silence uh, leading up to the birth of Christ. Malachi is one of the twelve what is sometimes called the Minor Prophets, a very unfortunate uh, name for these shorter books of the Bible. Uh, these 12 uh, smaller prophetic books are often historically called the Book of the Twelve. They were one book. They were on one scroll and they were treated that way. Uh, and they're not called minor because they're unimportant or insignificant. They're called minor because... Their books are a lot shorter than the major prophets, Isaiah, Jeremiah, and Ezekiel. In fact, far from being a minor prophet, Malachi, along with the other 11 of the 12, was and still is a very important book for God's people. Today's sermon is mostly going to be an overview and introduction to the book of Malachi so that we can better understand the background, the structure, and the significant themes that Malachi is going that we're going to study throughout this series on Malachi. So that's why we didn't actually read anything from Malachi this morning. Uh, we could have read the whole thing, I guess. Um, wouldn't have taken too long. But I encourage you over the next week to read read the first part of the book of Malachi. Just read the whole thing while you're at it. It will only take ten minutes. Um, but let's first begin with some of the historical background. I, I put some notes in your bulletin that you can uh, you can look uh, follow on with now, or you can uh, rip out and stick in your Bible and save for for reference later. Uh, I'm not going to cover all those dates and everything now. Uh, you can you can look at that on your own. But I do want to give you some idea of what happened in the 100 years leading up to Malachi's ministry. In the year 539, uh, the Persians defeated the Babylonians and King Cyrus came to power as the king of Persia, the, the new world power. King Cyrus was moved by God to uh, re- let the exiles return to the land, the promised land, and he actually commissioned the rebuilding of the temple in Jerusalem. You could read this in uh, several different places. In Ezra, you can read it at the end of Second Chronicles, 
um, which is actually in the old uh, Hebrew order of the Old Testament. Second Chronicles is the last book in the Bible in the Old Testament. And so the edict of Cyrus to rebuild the temple is actually the last thing you read in the traditional Hebrew ordering uh, of the Old Testament canon. This was a very significant event in the life of Israel, obviously. God was resurrecting His people uh, that had died in exile. So in the years that followed uh, the Edict of Cyrus, the exiles who returned had been easily discouraged by the many obstacles they faced. And they had been very uh, often tempted to doubt God's promises that He would indeed restore Israel and bless His people once again. Uh, The people returned and they laid the foundation of the temple. And that was a big deal. They had a big celebration. But then they started to get opposition. They started to get people opposing them and, and writing letters to the king trying to make them stop and this and that and the other. And they easily gave up. They were easily discouraged when opposition arose. And so that's when God sent the prophets Haggai and Zechariah Uh, to admonish the people for their lack of faith, to exhort them to rebuild, finish rebuilding God's house and restore the worship of God in Israel. In 458, so this is almost uh, 80 or so years after the exiles initially returned, Ezra the scribe, who had been sent by the king to teach God's law to the people, uh, he, he came to the land and he confronted the priests and others who had married pagan, pagan women of the land and, he, land. and he instructed them in God's Word. After the temple was finally completed, uh, Nehemiah was appointed governor and he returned to the Promised Land in the year 444 uh, to rebuild the wall of the city that was still in ruins. Uh, Nehemiah tells about some of the the problems that he encountered. uh, They had finished the temple, finally, after a lot of prodding. And when Nehemiah shows up, the priests are like giving uh, rooms to their buddies in the temple. Hey, you guys want to come? We got an empty room in the temple. You guys want to come live here? You know, this kind of thing was being done by the priests in the temple. And Nehemiah went in and he kicked out all those Uh, those people who were abusing their privileges and who were uh, using their positions for personal gain. Uh, He confronted people for violating the Sabbath. He put an end to that, a breaking of the Sabbath. And he again had to confront the people for marrying women of the land who were worshiping pagan idols. So on the heels of all of this, Malachi comes onto the scene probably around the year 430, somewhere between 430 and 420 B.C. Malachi discusses many of the same problems as Nehemiah, but he doesn't mention Nehemiah by name. So we can assume that this was not long after Nehemiah's rule as governor uh, and that the people were starting to undo some of the, the reforms that Nehemiah had had uh, implemented. But what about Malachi? What about the prophet himself? 
Contrary to what you might have heard elsewhere, this book was not written by the Mexican prophet Malachi. This is the prophet Malachi. His name is the Hebrew word that means my messenger. And that is about all we know about Malachi. So this is going to be a very short point. No. Uh, the author's name means my messenger. And this theme of messengers is actually a very prominent theme in the book of Malachi. He identifies himself uh, by name, the oracle of the word of the Lord, or the burden of the word of the Lord to Israel by Malachi, by literally my messenger. Malachi's name marks him out as a prophetic messenger from God. But then he also identifies several other types of messengers. He calls out the priests for their sins and for their hypocrisy and for their uh, leading the people astray. They are the messengers of the covenant that God had appointed to lead the people, to teach the people God's Word. And they are failing in their responsibility. And so in, later on in the book, Malachi talks about another messenger of the covenant who is, who is yet to come, the Messiah, the messenger of the covenant who will come and purify the worship of Israel, who will uh, judge the priests uh, who have led the people astray. And he will be preceded by a messenger, John the Baptist, who we later find out uh, is coming to fulfill this prophecy. So this idea, even though we, we know very little about Malachi himself, this idea of messengers from God is, is an important theme that we'll see throughout our study. But it's, it's actually sort of uh, appropriate that we know so little about Malachi. Because if you read through this book, there are only about seven verses where Malachi actually says anything of his own. It is just completely quotations. This is what God said. This is what the Lord said. The Lord is saying this. It's God speaking the entire time, except for seven verses about where Malachi interjects uh, maybe a little narrative comment here or there. So the Malachi is very much in the background, and God's Word is definitely uh, taking, taking center stage here uh, in this prophecy. Now, that's what, that's what little we know about the author, but who was the audience? Who was Malachi delivering this message to? book of Malachi is primarily directed at the priests in Israel. They're, uh, they're called out specifically in uh, chapter uh, 1, verse 6, and again in chapter 2, verse 1, uh, and rebuked for the way they are corrupting the worship of God, the way they are leading the people astray. You see, the, the priests had always held an important place in Israel's worship and culture. But they became even more influential in the life of Israel after the return from exile when civil life was ordered uh, by an appointed governor who was overseen by 
whatever empire it was that was ruling Israel at the time. So you have this foreign governor who's been appointed to be the political civil leader, and they sort of um, more or less had a had a hands-off approach to what what happened in the life of Israel. And so the priests uh, actually had quite a bit of influence over the culture, over the worship, over what went on uh, within Israel at this time. And so this is why Malachi is not confronting a king or a governor so much uh, as he's concerned with the influence that the priests are exerting uh, on the people. And in this case, it's primarily all negative. The priests were entrusted with the care, oversight, and spiritual leadership of Israel. But they were failing to shepherd, shepherd God's flock and were even setting a poor example themselves. As Ezekiel uh, points out in Ezekiel 34, the passage read earlier, the priests in many cases were actually preying on the flock that they were supposed to be caring for. And God promises uh, to judge those those priests, to remove them, and to come and shepherd his people himself. Um, Malachi's prophecies, though directed to the priests, they come across as a very public type of rebuke. I, I imagine that Malachi even delivered these sermons. They're basically six or seven sermons. I imagine that Malachi delivered this uh, preaching series. This is Malachi's preaching series right here. Six or seven sermons from the prophet Malachi. Uh, he'd probably deliver these to the priests in the hearing of the people. Maybe even in the temple. Maybe in the temple courts. Maybe uh, in a very public way. Because the people are just as guilty as the priests. But the priests are held responsible because of their position. Because of their leadership in the nation. And so, um, like I said, these are the book of Malachi is basically a series of six or maybe seven sermons that Malachi delivers to the priests. And Malachi's style is, is one that's very interesting. It's, it's, um, I guess it's unique among the prophets for the most part that Malachi has this uh, he has this keen insight into the attitudes and the motivations behind the actions uh, that he's condemning. And so, what he does is he has this uh, uncanny ability to put words in the mouths of the people that, people that he's speaking to in such a way that he accuses them with words that he's put in their own mouth. And they deny it, of course, at first, because nobody would say something that absurd, but actually that's their actions are speaking louder than their words. Their actions are demonstrating their faithlessness or their rebellion or their hypocrisy, even though they wouldn't have said it that way. Malachi has the, the courage and the insight to put the words in their mouths and call it what call their sin what it is. Uh, and of course, they usually deny it, but he goes on to prove his case and explain how these accusations are all true. And so, he puts questions in their mouths uh, like, uh, 
where you, you are saying to God, you know, how have you loved us? Or you are saying to God, where is the God of justice? Or you are saying to God, it is vain to serve God. It is what profit is it to keep God's commands? And of course, they deny it. No, no, we, we've never said that. We would never say that. But of course, their actions speak louder than their words. And Malachi's ability to see through the actions to the attitudes and to the motivations of their heart is a very uh, insightful and helpful uh, thing that we should uh, take note of. As you see, uh, as you can see in the notes, there's uh, I've laid out the structure there um, of the book. It's of course, it's a, it's a chiastic structure where he he sort of has these bookended themes uh, that move in to a central idea. So let me uh, let me just summarize this. What I think is a, sort of a narrative way of explaining uh, the sequence of the book. God God loved Israel. The book opens with God, a reassurance a reminder of God's love in choosing Israel and setting them apart as His covenant people, restoring them after exile. And B, the next section, but in spite of God's love, Israel showed contempt. They showed contempt for God's love by offering defiled sacrifices and worshiping God with a flippant attitude. And then in the next section... Malachi charges the Levites with main, with, uh, who were supposed to be maintaining the covenant of God and leading the people in proper worship. This is what they were supposed to do. This is what they were commanded by God to do. But as often as not, we find out in the, in the next section, they were actually leading the people astray. They were leading the people into spiritual adultery. They were accepting these defiled sacrifices. Uh, they were allowing the people to intermarry with women who worshipped idols and committing spiritual adultery. And so, as a result, see uh, Prime, as a result, God promised to send the messenger of the covenant to judge the people. This is the Messiah. He's, he promises to send the messenger of the covenant to do what the Levites could not do and to cleanse the people so that their worship would again be acceptable. And so in view of the coming judgment, in view uh, of the, this promise that God would come and judge His people, God calls on Israel to submit to Him, to obey His commandments, specifically through tithing here, and receive His promised blessings. And then finally, God, uh, the section, the book begins with a, a discussion of election. It ends with a discussion of judgment. God separated Israel from the rest of the nations by choosing them as His covenant people. And when He comes in judgment, He's going to separate the wicked from the righteous. Those who obey God's commands from those who don't. That's a, a very brief overview uh, of the main flow of the book. But I want to I want to take a few minutes uh, and cover what I see as four major themes 
um, that are important for understanding the book of Malachi. The first is what we've already alluded to. Malachi's message, the message of Malachi, is based on and centered around God's covenant with Israel. This is how Malachi opens. He begins by reminding the people of God's love. This is a good lesson for all of us, especially you parents. Uh, you might be about to, uh, to deliver a pretty stinging rebuke, but beginning with a, a reassurance of love is like the, the spoonful of sugar that helps the medicine go down sometimes, right? Reassuring the people, Malachi reassures the people that um, God is disciplining you not in spite of His love for you, but because of His love for you. Notice that the prophecy uh, in verse 1, the, the burden of the Word of the Lord to Israel. This is not against Israel like some of the other prophecies we find in Scripture. This is a, an oracle to Israel. And Malachi starts off with a reassurance of God's covenant love. And so the whole book is couched, uh, is, uh, it has to be understood in this perspective. That God's covenant is central. It is the reason for God's discipline. It is the reason for Malachi's rebukes. And it is the reason that God expects more of His people. And so Malachi uh, uses all these names and titles for God that emphasize God's uh, covenant lordship. They emphasize God's status as the covenant God and Israel as His covenant people. The word, the name for God, Yahweh, occurs 21 times in this very short book. And the, the, um, the similar name, the Yahweh of hosts, Lord of hosts, Yahweh of armies, occurs 24 times. That's 45 times some variation of the name Yahweh occurs in, I mean, it's probably one every other verse if you, uh, if you uh, divided it up that way. Let me, uh, let me just remind you of some things you may already know uh, about the, the name Yahweh. If you, uh, most English Bibles, if you're reading your Bible and you see Lord in small capital letters, not lowercase and not uppercase, but uppercase letters that look kind of smaller than a real uppercase letter, those are called small caps, if you see in your English Bible the word Lord in small caps, that's not a, that's not a misprint. Uh, that, that's the English Bible's way of telling you that this is the word Yahweh. This is the name Yahweh that has been, uh, for, for whatever reason, um, people, English Bibles, we don't like to print and, and use the name Yahweh or Yahweh. Um, and so we have decided, I don't know who decided it, uh, but Lord in small caps is the name Yahweh. This is the covenant name for God. We see it used throughout Scripture, beginning in Genesis uh, 2, I believe, 
But uh, in Exodus 3, God explains at the burning bush, He explains His name. He says, I am who I am. Yahweh, Yahweh, means, doesn't mean I am, it means He is. This is the, the covenant name for God that God used in the Exodus to, to say, basically, all that I am going to do, I am going to do as your covenant Lord. I am going to be with you as I have been with you, I, I am with you, and I will be with you. You are Israel. You are lit on fire in this uh, persecution under Pharaoh, but you're not going to be consumed because I am with you and will be with you as your covenant Lord. And so anytime uh, you have, anytime the, the scriptures use this covenant name for God, it's usually emphasizing God's uh, covenant with His people, His special uh, relationship with the people of Israel. But the converse of that is that this name also reminds the people that they have obligations to God. God has made promises to them and they have obligations to God as His people. And so... Uh, 45 times in this short book, some variation uh, of the name Yahweh is used. Uh, the, the, the title, Lord, is used three times. Um, actually make that 46 because uh, in chapter 2, uh, the, the Lord refers to Himself as Yahweh God of Israel. Kind of this fancy, elaborate title. So that's 46 times for, uh, for Yahweh. Uh, in also in chapter 2, God is referred to as the God of justice. Uh, at least twice in the book, God is talked about as the Father uh, in Israel, His Son, going back again to Exodus language. He is described as the quick witness. When they are breaking covenant, uh, He is going to send the messenger of the covenant as a quick witness against the people. And then he is also referred to, refers to himself as the great king. And obviously, Israel are his, is his subject. So all of these titles, all of these names, focus on God's special blessing in choosing Israel to be his people. But they also focus on the weighty responsibilities that come with the incredible privilege of being God's special possession. As Jesus uh, said uh, in the Gospels, to whom much is given, much will be required. And that is the case here uh, in Malachi. Now with all of this emphasis on God's covenant with Israel, it should not be surprising to any uh, student of the Scriptures, that another of Malachi's major themes is that of marriage. Uh, marriage, starting as early as Genesis 2 and going all the way to the very last pages of the book of Revelation and everywhere in between, uh, the covenant of, of marriage is understood and explained as the earthly analogy of God's covenant with His people. Marriage is the living symbol of Christ's love for His church. 
That's always been the case. It always will be the case. And so, as a result, God very often compares spiritual faithfulness of his uh, spiritual unfaithfulness of his people to marital infidelity. As, and as many of the prophets remind us, those two things often go together. Sometimes the people uh, are unfaithful, and it's called spiritual adultery, or God accuses them of prostitution uh, from the covenant. But sometimes they are unfaithful to the covenant by being unfaithful in marriage. Uh, we won't look at this today. Uh, we'll look at it in, the fu- in a future sermon. But Numbers chapter 5 is sort of this obscure uh, passage um, that provides an important backdrop for Malachi's message. Numbers chapter 5 describes this ordeal of jealousy. Basically, uh, it was a right, uh, that, a right of examination that, that Moses gave the people if a woman's husband suspected her of infidelity. They could go to the priest and have performed this ritual um, to examine uh, a wife who was suspected of infidelity. This is all important background to Malachi, as, as we'll see later. But in Malachi's day, the returned exiles were apparently divorcing their Israelite wives to marry foreign women who worshipped idols. This was a major problem. Ezra addresses this. Nehemiah addresses this. Malachi addresses this. And so Malachi actually contains some of the strongest language in all of Scripture about the purpose of marriage and the evils of illegitimate divorce. But beyond the explicit references to marriage in the middle of the book, which is the central section of the book, the whole book is concerned with God's marriage to His people. That's the second theme, covenant and marriage. The the third theme in Malachi uh, that I want to uh, summarize briefly uh, has to do with the hypocritical and contemptuous attitude of the priest and the people toward God. As I've already said, Malachi uh, has a way of penetrating into uh, the heart of the matter to uncover this hypocrisy and this contemptuous attitude that the priests and the people uh, were demonstrating in their worship and in their lifestyles. And so, as you know, this this type of eye-rolling attitude is a great recipe to to destroy about any relationship, right? Uh, Some sort of flippant, contemptuous, eye-rolling attitude uh, it's a recipe for disaster in any relationship, but especially uh, in worship. And so, interestingly, Malachi doesn't say really all that much about social injustice or worshiping pagan idols, the kinds of things that get a lot of press in uh, the earlier prophetic writings, because it seems that those who had returned from exile had more or less learned their lesson about these very flagrant sins. These were the sins that got them exiled in the first place. Worshipping idols on the high places 
uh, or you know, uh, oppressing orphans and widows. They had maybe learned their lesson on the, on the big sins. But the problem in Malachi's day is a contemptuous lack of faith in God's promises. It's a general hypocrisy in worship and life. And it's a flippant skepticism about God's promises. So that when God says, I love you, the people respond, how have you loved us? Or when God says you know, something about uh, Him being a just God, they say, yeah, wh- where's this God of justice? Like, what's, what's the deal with this? This God of justice? Who's that? Where is He? Or when Malachi calls the people uh, to repent and to, to, to worship God with right sacrifices or to bring their tithes as they've been commanded, the people respond with, what's the point? It's vain to serve God. It doesn't make any difference. What, what does it profit to keep God's commands? They even go so far as to say that, why should we obey God? Because apparently God's blessing the wicked. So what's the incentive? What's the use? This is the kind of attitude that Malachi has to uh, nip in the bud, so to speak. Because this is, this is the root. This is uh, a dangerous uh, attitude that, as, you, as we see in the Gospels, in uh, Jesus' rebuke of the Pharisees and the scribes and the religious leaders, when Jesus confronts the religious leaders of Israel, He confronts them about these very things. They're still checking off all the right boxes. They're still going through most of, uh, of the motions. But they're neglecting uh, to worship God with all their heart. They're neglecting uh, to do uh, to humble themselves before God. They're failing uh, to um, re- repent of their sins and receive God's correction. They're self-righteous. They're hypocritical. Uh, and there is an underlying rebellion in this, in their attitude and actions. And so, uh, coming to a close here, the, the last of these themes that I'm going to mention today is this theme of God coming in judgment. Like many of the prophets, Malachi warns the people that God is coming in judgment to judge His people. This This is not going to be another uh, exile, really. But God is coming to purify the Levites, to purify uh, the worship of Israel. And so, um, Jesus and the other gospel, Jesus in the Matthew, Mark, and Luke frequently go back to Malachi to explain uh, what's going on with John the Baptist and with the ministry of Jesus. That the coming of Jesus as the messenger of the covenant is what Malachi was prophesying about. That John the Baptist's ministry is this forerunner, this new Elijah that Malachi was prophesying about. Um, This is another reason why I'm starting Malachi now is because I hope in God's providence, I hope I can make it to the end of the book of Malachi by Advent and, and Christmas time, because these passages toward the end of the book are, are so significant in understanding uh, what's going on 
when we observe Advent and celebrate Christmas. So now I have extra motivation uh, to keep keep a steady pace so I can make it make it there uh, in time. But toward the end of the book, Malachi looks ahead to the time when God Himself will come to judge His people, to purify their worship, and indeed to usher in a new day of a new covenant. But the judgment uh, Malachi prophesies is it's bad news only for those who refuse to repent. It's bad news for the wicked, for the hard-hearted. It's good news for the righteous. It's good news uh, for those who submit to the Lord and fear Him. If you've been paying attention to uh, the culture wars that uh, are raging around us uh, the past decades, I guess you could say, uh, and have sort of culminated in some uh, important events and uh, Supreme Court rulings this past week, uh, you know that God's people, that all of us, all of God's people, uh, could use a refresher course on what it means to honor and obey our covenant Lord. The book of Malachi, I think, is actually quite relevant uh, to our situation because we are always in need of God's reminder of what it means to be God's covenant people. What it means uh, that our marriages are symbols of God's relationship with His people, with His bride, the church. We need to be reminded. The church in our nation needs a prophetic voice like Malachi to shake us out of our flippancy and our contemptuous attitude and our hypocrisy in worship and in life. We need, God's people need, to be reminded that God comes each Lord's day to judge His people. That He will return after all His foes have been subdued to sit as judge of all. In a world that uh, in many ways has gone mad in its rebellion against God, in times when society is calling, and in the church, people are calling good evil and evil good, we should take comfort in the blessed hope that Jesus is the just judge who rules the nations and judges the peoples with equity. And despite all evidences to the contrary, Jesus is still in the business of setting the world to rights and making all things new, even now. Amen. Let us pray. Heavenly Father, we thank You for Your Word. We thank You for these, uh, the way Your Word challenges us and convicts us and encourages us uh, and uh, spurs us on in obedience and in faith. We pray that You would help us to receive Your Word in humility, with reverence and thanksgiving, and that You would uh, conform us to the likeness of Your Son by the power of Your Spirit. For Your glory, in Christ's name, Amen.